wonderfuls. Welcome to episode 304 of the JV Club with my guest, Carly Gibson. I hope everyone is looking forward to a wonderful 2019. We did it, everyone. We survived 2018. Listen, there's a lot of great stuff that happened last year in addition to a lot of really crummy stuff. So let's stay upbeat and let's look forward to what I hope will be a fantastic 2019. Uh, I am just getting ready to, of course, head up to SF Sketchfest, and I welcome anyone who is planning on or considering coming out to see some shows at the festival. Visit sfsketchfest.com. I am on many of them. It's gross, but fun. Uh, and uh, again, just to reiterate, tons of Max Fun folk doing wonderful things at the festival, uh, as well as any number of other fantastic comedians and actors and musicians at all. So I'm glad I was able to add et al into this intro in a weirdly Latin snobby kind of way. And I will speak to you soon. Take care, everybody. I do enjoy a two people probably in some form of uh, pajama, if not maybe just some comfy house clothes. Definitely in pajamas um, on my end, not going to lie. It's a sensible 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. I don't even know what day it is. So, yeah, I'm... Uh, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely in my jams or as my boyfriend calls them, my Christmas pants. Oh, your Christmas pants. Well, we always laugh because, you know, every year for Christmas, I don't know, it's definitely a tradition in our family and, and in his as well. You always get those, like, ridiculous flannel, wide leg, like, ill-fitting pajama <laughs> yes. pants. And so yeah. anytime he wears them when it's not Christmas time, I'm always like, oh, Christmas pants. Got your Christmas pants on. <laughs> so I, it is. It's a variation on like the Christmas sweater. Yes, it is. It is. It's usually like a Christmas Eve thing in our family. Like we always get these pajamas and my stepmom usually is the one who gets them for us. And it's always so interesting to see what size she thinks I am that year. That's like a fun <laughs> game that we play. That's really good for my self-esteem. Oh, no. So it's it always like it never fails to just make me laugh. And it's and it's so precious because it's well intended. And of course, the last thing you ever want to do is buy somebody an article of clothing. that's too small, especially as a woman. Agreed. So I complete. I know she's always like better safe than sorry. But I'm like. I'm always like, Rhonda, like, uh, did you go to a special store for this? Did you have to, like, what, this is so big. And also, like, pants, you know, like, pants are, that's a challenge for anyone. Like, it's a challenge. I mean, I guess with dudes, it's a little bit easier. But for many of us women, like, there's no rhyme or reason to what size is going to be right, especially if it's something that is kind of like a generic, like, small, medium, and large. Right. And I feel like it's there's something I do. I agree with you that there's something like somehow socially more acceptable for for both the giver and receiver. If someone gives you a T-shirt that's like a triple XL because you're like, no, that's just what they had in stock. Right. Or like, oh, they they know I like to sw- like sleep in big shirts. <laughs> right. Right. Pants, it's a night shirt. It feels more personal somehow. You know, when it's pants, it feels like it's more of a judgment, even though it doesn't mean that at all. Right. Exactly. I actually made the mistake last year for season one um they had crew shirts and they were going around 
uh, the set being like, oh, we have these crew shirts. Like, what size do you want? And like one of the guys like asked me, it was like in front of the whole crew. And I was like, oh, I don't I don't know, like a medium or something. And so and I completely forgotten about it, just trying to be like a dainty little girl like you, try, you know, <laughs> right. and then I got them. and I was like, well, what am I doing with these? Like, they're so small. <laughs> There's no world that I'm even getting one tit in this shirt. Like, so I ended up giving them away to my boyfriend's friend who is a little he's a smaller guy and um and he loves them. I mean, he that's his favorite thing that he's ever been given, but I was just like that's what I get for trying to be like, "Oh, I don't know, it's like a medium." <laughs> Not even close, like not even close. I feel I feel the same because I've had a, a, definitely experiences where, you know, I think it's going to be a, like a unisex size. Mm-hmm. So I'll say something and then I get like a tiny doll shirt. Um, right. And then uh, and then so many shows I work on, like the budgets are so low. There is no like there's there. They, it's like we got a bunch of XLs. That's what we could afford. Right. We can afford one size. Yeah. Here's XL. And I have really, I gotta say, I've really embraced the rip the collar out flash dance, like let it hang off your shoulder. I've just embraced that because it doesn't have to fit anymore. Yeah. It's like, oh, slouchy, I'm in. But like, if your if your shoulders exposed, suddenly it's a little sexy. Well, I think all like, I was getting out of myself. that t-shirt was maybe like a sensible wristband. Like that's that's <laughs> all that I was gonna be getting out of that. Uh, also have you ever worn wristbands in a like a true athletic sense because I think when I I didn't I never played tennis growing up ever it seemed like a rich person sport to me but um and I guess it is but but I started playing at like the community court in Griffith Park uh, a few years ago and by playing I mean hitting the ball back and forth with somebody equally bad but I I did I do feel that I had like a like an excitement for like the vintage sort of like I'm gonna wear a headband I'm gonna wear a tear headband sure. and some terry armbands i i guess i'm just not sweating enough because i, I don't feel that they were that necessary I, I didn't walk out of the situation going like thank god i had those wristbands on well i guess i don't understand the mileage and i mean i like you don't want to sweat down your hand and mess up your grip or something but like you know you're not serena williams you're not messing up your backswing like you're fine i think I I was I I don't have sports gear because I don't um, I don't do sports. So there I I legit like own one pair of tennis shoes. I've had them since I was 11 years old. And that's amazing it for me. So anytime anybody's like, oh, we're going to go play like kickball in the park or like you should join the softball team or whatever. I'm like, I'll I'll come and pull a sixer out and like cheer you on and have smokes and and (laughs) support you from the sidelines. But I'm not I'm not getting out there in that hot sun trying to have a stroke playing kickball. No, thanks. Right. Do you did your family like when you were mentioning your family and the kind of the the, the Christmas PJs tradition? Uh, what did your is your family big into sports? Is it like, no? Is there, are you the sort of odd odd girl out? No. On that? no. Well, my dad, my dad loves sports like any good Midwestern male born in the 50s does. Um, big football fan loves to watch golf just the most boring thing to watch on television um <laughs> yeah not a big not a big baseball or uh or basketball guy but just loves football big football fan my brother and i both were just like no to sports i think my brother played peewee football he's five years older than me for maybe all of three 
practices like I don't even know if he made it to a game first time he got tackled he was like ow absolutely not that was that was terrible that hurt I want no part (laughs) of that and so both of my brother and I went into the arts he's a lighting designer um he was actually just out on the road with fallout boy so um very cool yeah he lives in Chicago and he does like rock concert lighting and and so he kind of went that way and I went the more like performer route but we both have have very much strayed from the sports and were into the arts and much to my father's dismay um and then we have a half brother that's also my father's son who is 20 years younger than Rob and 15 younger years younger than I am he just graduated from high school you do the math um and so (laughs) but he he was like into soccer and stuff which I think and he loves to work on cars he's very much like my dad's boy he's like the boy my dad always wanted you know Rob and I Rob's like sensitive and kind of emo and of course I'm just dramatic and I'm like you have to feel your feelings the only way out is through (laughs) and so and my dad's like ah Jesus so like finally (laughs) he got the rough and tumble boy that he had always wanted and we call him the golden child because he is oh the golden child how old were your this is getting uh maybe personal into your dad and mom's marriage but what how old but but i it especially jumps out to me because i was just having a conversation with my dad about how one of his best friends from college remarried and ended up having uh, another child Mm. you know when his first children were like in their 20s oh yeah and that my you know my dad was sort of you know going the conversation was of course like predictably my dad being like i cannot imagine changing like my like my dad retired from teaching at 50 which was the very earliest he could retire because he was like yeah i put in my 25 years i worked really hard i feel i was a great teacher now i'm ready to not do that anymore absolutely and right around the time my dad's retiring you know his friend is changing diapers and my dad was like i just can't even wrap my head around that my dad was like 44 when they had tyler so my my folks split when I was like five and Rob was 10 um and then my dad remarried the, the another woman they were together for a couple years they had no children she had no prior children and then <clears throat> excuse me he met Rhonda when I was like my freshman year of high school I was starting a brand new school and um and and but I, I loved Rhonda I mean I still to this day they actually just got divorced after like 20 years um but uh, and I love her and she'll always she'll always be in my life. We have a great relationship. But it was like she's three years younger than my dad. She had a daughter um, from a previous marriage who at the time was only like 18 months old. Her name was Carly as well. Oh, wow. My dad is just baby crazy. Like he just loves babies. Wow. And so he was 44. And when they decided uh to have another child and I was I was not happy at the time I was I was 15 I was like you got to be kidding me like you yeah. know like did he have did you guys do your parents share custody uh yes both my mom and dad yeah they had they had joint custody so we spent pretty much the typical every other weekend and then half the summer and where where was this in did Michigan they stay in the same city and- in Michigan oh, yeah okay. and my dad lived on the east side of the state we lived on the west side of the state so for a lot of it so it was a lot of traveling back and forth as a kid and um but you know a couple hours and and I, to be honest you know I, I might be one of those rare kids who the divorce really never affected me in a negative way I think especially as I got a little older I saw how much my parents didn't belong together and so it just made sense yeah, to me totally and, me too and my folks were really wonderful at 
keeping things very normal for us. You know, my they one thing I will say for both my parents is despite their personal feelings, like they made it, they made a pact when they split, like they didn't badmouth each other in front of us. Like we never got pit against yep. one another. There was none of that. There was, you know, when my dad came to pick me up, he would come in the house, he would sit down. My mom and him would have coffee. We would talk about my week while I was like racing to be like, make sure you grab this, make sure you grab that. And I'm telling my dad about right. my week at school and what, Whatever. And then, you know, I, I would go with my dad and I would come back and same thing, come in, he'd have a cup of coffee. I'd talk about my weekend with my mom and they made it very like comfortable. It was, you know, cause my mom was like, I never want there to be a time where you're just honking the horn and the kids are running out. And like, right. you know, we, she wanted to keep a sense of unity because totally. that became very instrumental when we were teenagers. And of course, you know, it was like, well, I'm calling dad and whatever. They had to stay in a united front in order to keep any sort of sanity. Everything you're saying is a thousand percent my experience. And there were definitely times where as a teenager, I was very pissed. Like I like that oh, was yeah. the time of my life where I thought I really wish they didn't communicate because it's making it really hard for me to sneak out and or say I'm spending right. the night somewhere I'm not really spending the night. Yeah. And get away with anything. Yeah, I think that's really, I mean, that really does, uh, that does make a huge difference. And I think, you know, as, as hard as, as divorce is on everybody involved, there is a, if you can, if you can figure out how to get that kind of flow going, uh, beyond the split um you know there's a there's a lot to, there's a lot to be said for that yeah absolutely and I think the big thing too is that you know I think being a parent you have to take that very seriously and I think part of that is realizing that it's not about you anymore there is a selflessness yep. that has to go along with parenting and and it's one of the reasons why I have no desire to have children not because I'm a selfish piece of shit but because I know the sacrifice it would take to be a good parent like my parents yeah. were and I don't want to sacrifice things in my life like my job and my because you would need to you know everybody's everybody thinks well you can do it all you can do it all and it's like you can to a degree but the type of parent I would want to be, I would need a different exactly. career. I would want to Yeah, be, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah, I don't want other people raising my kids and I don't want a kid, you know, my my boyfriend's a musician and so, you know, I don't want a kid out on tour or out on the road or I'm filming six months out of the year and, and somebody else is with them and I just, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's what they signed up for and so, you know, it would, it's just not the way I'd want to do it and I think that I think the thing that I will say about my parents that I admired the most is that they really got that and they respected that. And they were like, this isn't about the way that we feel and we didn't make the marriage work. And now we've got all these residual feelings. It's sort of superfluous. It doesn't matter. And it's not their problem. Now it's our responsibility yeah. to just make sure they have the most normal, healthy, supportive and loving environment to co-parent. And they did. And it's and it's even more amazing to me as I got older and really saw the cracks and flaws in their relationship and couldn't imagine, you know, listen, I'm 34 and like, I know how it feels when you feel like you were wronged by somebody or whatever. Like it takes a very big person to put all of that aside and just swallow yeah. it. And, um, and I have a lot of respect for both my parents for that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, every, yeah, again, everything, everything you're saying, I can absolutely relate to. And I think, you know, we are, now in living in a, in a world in which there are so many different ways to have a family and there are so many different ways to make it work and there are, and, and and you know it's it's very much what you said which is you know know thyself you know kind of know know yourself and know what your 
not standards because that sounds very like high and mighty, but just right. sort of what your capabilities are yeah. and, and, and how, and how your reality would possibly compare with your ideal and what it would take to get from point A to point B and, and, you know, trying to look at that very realistically. I do feel like we are part of a very pragmatic you know, generation or two where we, we kind of did see a ton of divorce, like our, you know, so many of our, our parents have not stayed together. Um, and we've sort of seen what that looks like probably in a way that people older than us, you know, to a certain degree, like, you know, a a couple of like a generation uh, above us, people's parents still tended to stay together by and large, I think more. I mean, I'm like, now I'm just like dropping statistics. I have no real base of knowledge on, but I feel like we all sort of stipulate as a society that divorce became more prevalent, you know, in the like 70s, 80s. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, I think what happened too, is it, it was like this sort of um, antiquated ideology that you you just stuck it out. You made the decision. That was it. And there is something to be said for that because I think people quit things too easily now because there's too many options. There's too, you know, yeah. we live in such a, a time where people are like, I can do anything. I can be anything. And it's like, you can, but you sort of should stay in a lane once you, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a fine <laughs> line because I, I get it and I, it's a fine line. I yes. support it, but I do think that people, the minute something isn't working they're like oh I don't feel butterflies anymore so this isn't love and I'm out or this has become difficult for me and it's like you know my therapist always such an LA slash New York thing to say but my therapist always says like relations she hates when people say relationships are work she's like life is work the work you're always going to be doing work work on yourself work on everything anytime you're evolving and moving forward and progressing as a human and and you know it's always going to be work so whether you're doing that solely or you're doing that with somebody else like it's not I don't know I, I just I do think that people tend to to give up easy now listen if the relationship that you're in is damaging to you in any way emotionally or physically or it's stunting you or you're not being supported or you're being you know abused in some way then obviously get out of that but I just you know I do I think that we have been so sensationalized with all of this imagery from music and television and movies I mean I know that has been sort of the backbone of and the foundation of of my soul go, growing up I've been inundated with with art and I love it so much but it's kind of been a little bit of my Achilles heel in the way that like when I'm and I have had to realize that like oh my god I create chaos in my life and I do that because to mm. me everything's got to be the 11 o'clock number screaming in the rain overcoming and triumphing and 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 you know all of this and if it's not that then it really mustn't be real love and to me I realized that like and it took me a long time not until I got into my 30s to realize that isn't love that's just chaos and distraction mm-hmm. and that's fleeting and that's not what you should be looking for and it, it's you know it's very interesting I mean uh, and I'm now like in a relationship we've been together over two years and like we're getting we're very comfortable and it's everything is good and I will catch myself every now and then being like well are we in a rut are we just fr-? you know and it's not and I don't doubt how I feel about him but you do that to yourself because all of that pizzazz all of that drama all of that you know 
ridiculousness is sort of out the window, which should be a good thing. But of course, right. you self-sabotage right. with this sort of questioning and whatever. And and I have to check myself all the time and be like, girl, like you are not Scarlett O'Hara. Like that is not what this is. Like you're in a loving, supportive, like committed relationship with the most wonderful yeah. human you have ever met in your life. Like calm, have a seat, have several and right. you know <laughs> right. like this is what you've been looking for you idiot so um uh-huh. <laughs> it's just it's you know it's just one of those things so it's like i think we do have to check ourselves sometimes in those in those dynamics and just it's you know it's reality versus fantasy and the fantasy is not yeah. really tangible and and just realizing that so I don't know. And just and I think part of that adapting that way of thinking is how I try to think about everything, too, because I'm just I've been trying to spend so much of the better part of the past couple years of my life living in utter gratitude, especially after, you know, I had a rough like five years ago, I lost my mom. And it was a really difficult time for obvious reasons. And it was it was hard because I was living in New York in in like 2012. She got diagnosed with stage four lung and bone cancer. And so she was in Michigan and I went back with her to be with her, take care of her, be by her side because she was my ride or die. She was my best friend and I wasn't going to let her go through this by herself. And the plan was to go and get her on chemo. She'd get better. I'd go back to my life. She'd go back to hers and blah, blah, blah. But fortunately, that's not what was in the cards. And she ended up declining. I was there for two years. And then when she passed, I found myself like pretty much completely in like living in my hometown, had been there for two years. And I left when I was 17. So it had been like 12 years um, at that point. And yeah, I was fully like living in my hometown. Like it, it was it was such a shock. And then I just felt like I I didn't know what to do. I was trying to pick up the pieces and and for whatever reason mm. I just felt like going back to New York didn't feel like the move for me. That felt like the past for some reason. And even though my apartment was still there and my stuff was still there, I was like, you know what? I'm not ready to just go back and pretend this didn't happen. And I felt really propelled in a way. And oddly enough, I felt stronger than I'd ever felt in my life because it gave me this sense of like armor in a way that it was almost like that was worst case scenario and nothing will ever hurt as bad as that did again. So I became fearless again. Like I got my fearlessness back in a way that I hadn't had since I was a kid. And so I moved out to LA like two and a half months after my mom died. And I didn't, I knew, you know, I had some acquaintances here, people that I knew from New York, but I really didn't have a foundation or, you know, any sort of base of uh, community here. And it was, it was a struggle. I mean, I was like, you know, I was bartending. I was, I worked for this insane lady running a a bar catering company and I was making like $400 a week and working like 80 hours a week. And, um, Mm. and just, you know, after coming from this career of, you know, I was 18 years old when I got discovered and I was a lead in a Broadway show and, and, you know, had this big soaring high career that I left behind when my mom got sick and had to completely start over. And so, you know, the last four years of being out here, almost five years, five years in February, um, has just been a very humbling um, journey of self-discovery. And I think so, and, 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 and I think a necessary one, because I don't think that yeah. if I would have gotten the success that I'm having now with the shows and everything, I don't know that I'd be as grateful for it. I don't know that I'd be 
I mean, I'd be grateful, but I just don't know if I'd be as grateful as I am now and to realize how lucky I am and how rare this is and how special of an experience this is and how hard I worked for it. And I and I earned it. You know, it's hard because with hairspray, because I was so young and it sort of happened to me in in the weirdest way. I was like discovered doing this show when I was like 17 in my hometown. I got discovered by a New York agent and they brought me to New York to audition for the show and I auditioned 10 times in like six months and then I booked the first national tour of Hairspray and I went on the road and then I got pulled off the road six months in and oh reopened the show on Broadway with Michael McKeon I mean all before I was 19 years old and it all just sort of happened so fast that I had always and it took me a lot longer in life to realize like I'd had this residual guilt feeling of never really feeling like I earned it even though I, mm. I I auditioned and I worked hard and whatever, but I never really felt like I earned it. And and that was a difficult pill for me to swallow because from that point on, my career just sort of kept moving forward in this momentum that I was grateful for, but it never really felt like it was mine. It never really felt mm-hmm. like it belonged to me. And I struggled mm-hmm. with that a lot. And um, but of course, not having like the tools or the self-awareness to really realize that was what I was struggling with. I was just rebellious. And in my rebellion, I was into drugs and I was partying all the time and just being a nightmare of a human and spending money like crazy and driving my parents nuts. And so, um, you know, this this time around, I told myself if I was going to do this again, if I was going to get this second chance I was going to do it the right way, that I would never be that same person again. I would never take it for granted. I would never be ungrateful. I would never self-sabotage it. And I would stay in the present because I realize how fleeting it is. You know, when I was a kid, I thought, well, this is just my life forever now. Cool. So I didn't save any money. I didn't, you know, I just figured, well, this is what it is now. And now I realize how fickle and fleeting this industry truly is and that you can't, you can't ever get comfortable, you know? And, um, oh, yeah. and it has, oh, yeah. I, I, I literally am just, I'm, I live in utter gratitude every day because of it. Cause I just never know when it's going to go away. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. This is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. It's a podcast that we do as uh, we ma- we are married. And how's the ad going so far? Because I think it's going very good. <laughs> we talk about things we like every week on Wednesdays. One time Rachel talked about pumpernickel bread. It was so tight. You cannot afford to miss her talking about this sweet brown bread. We also talk about music and poems and, you know, weather. There is one. Weather? <laughs> one time Rachel talked about Baby Beluga, the song, for like 14 minutes. And it just really blew my hair back. So check us out on MaximumFun.org. It's a cool podcast with chill vibes. Amber is the color of our energy, is what all the iTunes reviews say. (laughs) They will now. I mean, I think I have so many thoughts that that flashed in my mind while you were talking. I mean, certainly um, I could not understand more that sense of profound loss and the the sense of a, a matter out of place in a way. It's like you knew you didn't belong where you were. You were, you know, I'm sure shell shocked from this thing that became your number one priority and was the the center of your your reality um which was your mom and and being in that space and then having that 
finish, you know, as it were, and then sort of looking backwards at where you'd come from going, I know I'm not the same. And, and, and if I go to the place that is everything about what I was before I had this profound and, and incredibly difficult experience, does that somehow negate this process? And, and will I resent right. that world? And will I, how do you know, how do I, it's like, it's like that, you know, I go back to my house and everything's been replaced by an exact copy and it's the scariest feeling in the world. The sort of like, you know, this, this, this sense of floating above your own life. And I totally understand well, the desire to, to, to go, to go, I, everything has changed. So everything needs to change, right. you know, like right. the, all right. of this has changed everything. So I have to, go but at the same time what an incredibly hard thing to to also have to do to yourself but not in a you know like not in a, a harmful way anywhere you were was going to be really hard after you lost your mom but but to be in this totally new place as you said without you know the support network and kind of having to rebuild it's like well it gave you something to focus on and it right. definitely like let your life look entirely different than it did before all of that happened which i needed yet at the same time how fucking hard is that you yeah know? well it's interesting too that you brought up sort of like the past and stuff because i you know, because I was so rebellious, because I had struggled with it so much, you know, it, it was interesting. It was like all of my dreams came true. All I'd ever wanted to do and be since I was a child was be on Broadway and, and be on a Broadway stage and be an actress. And then it happened. And then but something interesting also happened at the same time, which was that I realized that nothing really happened. Right. Like Mm. All I just I thought once your dreams come true, because I was 18, <laughs> that your life sure. would fall into place, that everything would become yeah. easier. It would make sense. You would be inexplicably just happy all of the time. And that wasn't the case. And that tripped me out. That was like an episode of The Twilight Zone more than anything, because I couldn't figure mm -hmm. out how all of the issues, feelings or troubles that I may have been having before had found their way to New York City from Muskegon, Michigan, and found mm -hmm. me on that Broadway stage. And I was I was very troubled by that. And mad almost yeah. at the experience for not being what I needed it to be. It wasn't fixing me in the way that I needed it to be. Again, 18, right? So it was hard. So I was young. I was very yeah. rebellious. And then I never had that. First of all, it's the longest run. I mean, the longest run I'd done of a show up until that point was like, what a weekend in my high school of guys and dolls. So to <laughs> have an $11 million production on your shoulders and to be doing as many performances, you know, you do eight shows a week, you do you perform oh. six days out of the week you get one day off a week two weeks off a year oh. I mean that's it and so it was a lot and and I felt and this is just me being honest about like I felt trapped I was in a contract I was scared I was like oh I can't quit this at any point right like a child's mentality I mean think about what you're doing at that age you're going to college right what are college kids doing they're changing their major all the time they're not going to class they're because they don't have discipline they don't have a sense sure. of schedule and organization and 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 you know a, a a sense of like I need to do this because I committed to this and there's other people's money behind it like you don't have that you're selfish you're very selfish at that time and I was that I was no exception and so I became resentful at the fact that like I had to go do this thing it stopped becoming fun they had found a way to monetize my dream and now made it like this 
this work thing that I had to do and it wasn't fun anymore and I and I wasn't enjoying it and so I was self-sabotaging a lot of it and that's where you know I think I was partying all the time and just trying to escape it somehow because I didn't have the tools to deal within that that was the only thing I could do is try to escape. And I started to develop anxiety attacks, like massive ones, which I had never had in my life before. Well, that's a hard thing to say. Maybe I did. Maybe I just didn't know what they were. But it was interesting. Mm -hmm. I always call it naming the puppy. It wasn't until I was on tour. I had experienced my very first one. And I went outside at intermission. I was talking to a few other castmates about it. And I was explaining what I had. And this woman who was in the show with me said, oh, you had a panic attack. Now, that's the very first time I'd ever heard that word. I No one had mm-hmm. ever said panic attack or anxiety disorder. None of those, none of those words had ever been in my lexicon before. And I always say that's the day I named the puppy because they say, like, if you get astray, don't name the puppy because you'll bring it, once you name it, it's yours. And that was sort of the day that the puppy was named and it moved into my house. And girl it became Mm, this mm, thing mm. in my life like maybe if and I'm not blaming anyone for it but maybe if those words hadn't been put in my head it would have just been like a a situation that happened there I was like that was weird I felt dizzy on stage and like whatever but now it became this thing this thing that I had this thing that I carried this thing that could come back at any time this disorder this this thing and it was like a giant piece of furniture that moved into my house and I have struggled with that ever since. Um, I still struggle with anxiety terribly to this day. I get performance anxiety. I don't really get social anxiety. I'm fine to like go to the grocery store or whatever. I cannot drive. Well, first of all, driving in LA is like the most insane thing ever. And to be fair, I didn't really start driving until I was 30 when I moved out here. So I have like four years driving experience. So don't come for me. That's not fun. And y'all drive like assholes here. So I can't with you. But... (laughs) Oh my God, it's the most terrifying place in the whole wide world. Driving in LA is like playing Marble Madness. I don't know if you ever played Marble Madness on the Nintendo as a kid, but it was like this little marble that balanced on this skinny little thing and everything's like high up in the air and I just cannot. Um, But I struggle struggle with a lot of the decisions of my past because I made really poor decisions as a child, as you do, Um, but visibly, very noticeably um, and, 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 and in a lot of the way in the public eye. Now, thankfully, this was back when phones were flip phones and still very grainy. And so like in the court of law, you can't prove that that was me that fell off the bar at Lotus. But <laughs> right. the, the eyewitnesses that were there would probably like disagree. Um, but yeah, I, I did. I made a lot of mistakes and I struggle. I struggle with those mistakes to this day because, you know, we're such, we're, we're creatures of habit. And um, I've worked really hard to break those bad habits, but it's always... Uh, you know, it's always so interesting to me. My, my therapist always says to me, what are you more afraid of, failure or success? And I'm like, well, obviously failure. And she's like, do you want to try and answer that again? And I was like, well, mm. did I get it wrong? And, 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 it, and it really is true. I think success is the thing that I'm the most afraid of because it's something to lose. You know, coming from, I grew up very, you know, um, humble surroundings. You know, we didn't have a lot. Having a lot of things like a great relationship, a great job, those 
things are terrifying to me because that's foreign territory. Mm-hmm. I'm used to the chaos and the and the and the trenches and the grudge and the grind. Like I can I can work in those environments. And my and my therapist said to me, she was like, "Well, do you think because that's a comfortable place for you to be that you create chaotic environments so that you have something to triumph over? Is that where the self sabotaging behavior comes in?" And I was like, "Well, ugh, yeah. I mean, I guess." <laughs> good therapist I'm like well that makes a lot of fucking sense but it's true and so I have to question sometimes if my anxiety isn't a product of me trying to manifest chaos and so Mm -hmm. it's I mean look it's a fun fucking game to play right like being a grown-up and balance all of us and like who am I and how do I do it and what do I do and fucking and and you can't (laughs) answer all of those questions all the time all you can do is like continue to ask them and, and, and sort of challenge them and embrace them. But the thing that I have found that works the best is for me to like take a deep breath, be grateful for where I am, realize that control is an illusion, that I cannot control this situation. And if, you know, I said to my publicist when I, when I, I first met with them, I was like, I do, I'm going to warn you, like I have a little bit of anxiety and stuff about like, you know, like some talk shows and stuff. I get nervous and whatever. And, and they're like, well, what's your worst fear? And I was like, that I'll explode. Like that's a, I know it's an irrational fear, but it's like a genuine fear that I have that I'll just be talking and all of a sudden I'll be like, and just like completely cease to exist as a human. Um, and she said, she was like, well, listen, if you can, if you can explode on cue that we can do something with that, like that's very good for PR. So you know, yeah. it's just you have to embrace it. And the thing that I have found that is the most helpful with my anxiety is fucking talking about it. Because we deal, we don't deal with mental health in this country very well, but we talk a lot about depression. And rightfully so. It deserves a platform. It it should have a it should have a voice. But we don't talk a lot about anxiety because I think it has become this dirty little secret that everyone has to shove under a rug because we feel that there is a stigma that comes along with it, that you are weak, that you're uh, high strung, that you're doing this to yourself. You're just a wound up crazy person that, you know, you're getting yourself all worked up over there. You know, I mean, there was all these adorable nomenclatures sort of given to me as a child, you know, I was sensitive and high strung and all of those things. And I was like, oh, or this is a crazy environment and you guys are drunks and I'm a child trying to process this. Like maybe we visit that. Um, but you know, so it's, it's, um, it's very interesting, but it's something I feel really passionate about. And I find the more people that I talk to about the anxiety, especially in this industry, people you would never expect, are like, oh my God, me too. Like all the time, like I can't, like I, like it's a thing. And I just wish that people yeah. would, would talk about it more and we could, we could be more open about it and be less shameful about being like, yeah, this thing that I can't fucking control happens to me and makes me feel like a crazy person and, and makes me feel like I want to run away. A hundred percent. I can assure you that you are um, falling into a very wide swath of wonderful guests on, uh, on my podcast, certainly that uh, have, have expressed very similar sentiments. Um, you may or may not know because we, you know, and I don't know each other because we were connected through um, a publicist. But that is absolutely something that I have been very forthcoming about. And I was the same age uh, you were when it started happening to me. And interestingly enough, it, it, I it did tie in with performance stuff, which had mm-hmm. never been an issue for me before, and uh, and and it it very much became the terror of oh my god, is this thing that I 
feel like I want to do for a living is is the worst possible kind of profession other than maybe being a surgeon like when right. if someone's life is on the line and you right. freak out yeah. obviously that's more important but in terms of live performance like it's you know it's if somebody is performing in any way whether they're teaching playing baseball anytime there's a group of people and your profession is connected to you keeping your shit together mm-hmm. right in there in that moment mm-hmm. or else what else everything else stops no mm-hmm. no one can function the entire event as it exists is changed because of you it's such a tremendous amount of pressure and because anxiety and panic feed off of itself you know off of themselves it then it becomes you know then all of your power is given over to this thing that may or may not decide to ruin any given moment live and 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 so I totally get all of that and I think um you know it's 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 really difficult for anyone to have to go through and it's I think I I in no way mean to discount somebody who can have a, you know, who has a a panic attack at work and maybe no one notices because they're just at their desk. It's just as horrible. Don't get me wrong for a second. You know, I think it's just there like, like with many things when you're sort of on stage, whatever that means, you know, metaphorically on stage, um, it's just it, it just it, it has it just has a microphone attached to it in a little bit of a different way that doesn't make it better or worse it's just it, it puts the fear of the moment um which is the opposite of kind of being in the moment and being comfortable like you said without having control that uh everything in you is like well accepting that I can't control anything seems like the absolute worst thing to do I should try really hard to hold on even tighter and have even more control so this doesn't happen it's like that doesn't work that way it's also the pressure of like you of all people should have it together right because you've been blessed with this that's the thing too like it's almost like I'm I'm sometimes I feel like we're made to feel like because we are performers and we chose to be performers that we're not allowed to have this issue and or I mean, I guess I use the word complain about it, but like, it's not to me, the two are mutually exclusive. Like they, they, one doesn't necessarily, it's like, look, I want the one thing. I don't want the other. Like I didn't, I didn't bring them together and I'm creating this, you know, it's just, it is, there's, there's just such a weird, a weird stigma about it. And the, and the thing of it is too, it's like, I always have to laugh at myself because I'm like, I put myself in a profession where as a job, I'm being judged right all the time. It's either like, was I funny? Did you laugh? Did you like it? Did you clap? Did, was I good enough? Did I get the job? Was I, what do I look great? Are we getting picked up? Is it, did you know what I mean? Like, am I, Yeah, it, it's I do. just like, it's constant scrutiny of you as a person, but that for me has been the biggest key. I'm like, no, fuck that. It's not me as a person yeah. who I am is not what I do. And that's why it's yes. like, I had to make these individual things like, and just also to remind myself too, that like, I think a lot of the anxiety is just because I care. I truly care about what I'm doing. I truly want it yes. to go well. I am a perfectionist. I am my worst critic. And because yeah. of that care and sort of, you know, um, concern that I have, I think it manifests into this uh, irrational fear, but also a very rational fear of letting people down. 
That's yes. my biggest thing. People have put their faith in me. They've put their money behind yes. me. They have counted on me. They're looking forward to me. Whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I'm a, I remember my first day on set with the guest book. That was my first TV show. And it was my very first day filming. We were doing one of my big scenes. And I walked into that room and I saw thousands and thousands of dollars worth of equipment. And people <laughs> yeah. that were there and, like, oh, and just, you know, 100 crew members and a director that was flown in from God knows where. And, um, well, this is really fun. I hope you're not picking this up. My leaf blower guy has decided to come right by my window and blow leaves right now. Hey, thanks, bud. Perfect. Um, <laughs> but um, in case anybody was like, what is a tiny motorized noise in, her, in the background? <laughs> is she not using a vibrator right now? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but I, it dawned on me in that moment, like, holy shit. Like, everyone's job right now, they're here contingent about me doing the one fucking thing I'm supposed to do and it was like I had a moment right there where I was like well you've got two choices you can walk off and be like I'm sorry I've, I left I don't know what to say or you can just go through it and see what happens and I did it yeah. and I was like that was the most fucking fun thing I ever did I want more like oh my god that was amazing and and I and it became exhilarating and now I'm obsessed with the format of television I mean I just I love everything about it um, but I have yet to, not since 2014, have I performed on a stage. And not yeah. because, you know, I just, I just stopped enjoying it. I stopped enjoying the live performance aspect of it. And um, when I left musical theater, like when I officially retired, um, I was like, that's, you know, I, I was never a lifer, like, you know, that's just not what I wanted. But it wasn't until I did something very recently that I can't talk about yet because it's like, whatever, I signed an NDA and it comes out in the spring. Right. But I did something where I had to get back on a stage and dance again and in front of an audience of people and and they were filming it and everything and whatever. And I... I was like, okay, I, I made this pact that I was going to do. 2018 was going to be the year of doing things that scare me. And so mm -hmm. as part of that, I had to agree to do this. And so I did. Um, and I was, I was fine. We got, you know, we did the rehearsals. I was fine. And then we got up for the dress rehearsal that day and got on stage. And it all came rushing back. The PTSD of being on the mm -hmm. stage. It was the stage that yeah. was doing it to me. Because that was the, mm -hmm. that was the, that was the place of my very first panic attack. And I hadn't, I hadn't been there in a long time. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Like, my friend is the showrunner and he got me this thing and I don't want to let him down. And what if I embarrass yeah. him and embarrass myself and whatever? And so I went outside. I had a cigarette. I talked to my boy manager and my boyfriend. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a, I'm, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how this is going to go down. I'm going to have a come to Jesus moment with myself. And then I'm going to take a tiny little nibble off of a piece of Xanax. And then I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to see what happens. And I did. And I had the best time. Like I just yeah. enough to take the edge off. Like I like licked it like four times. and was like, just take the edge off of this. And normally I, it's the reminder. It probably didn't even do anything. No. It's the reminder it was a placebo, I'm that sure. you can ha that 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 there are things you know you obviously you didn't take it because you're a perfectionist and you were probably afraid that it was going to dull you a little bit like right. there's some conversation happening in your yep. brain that that keeps you from becoming somebody who it, it relies on something like that because that also has an effect of keeping you out of control in a sense absolutely. but but uh, I, I I I've I've told I mean I absolutely have carried around like there was there times when I would just carry around whatever thing 
that was a pill that yeah, was like if I had net. to it's there yeah if I had to and just knowing it's there yeah or giving it two licks which I couldn't relate to more yeah is that is is that it's it's also part of the feeling I think it is part of that feeling of permission of like well it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen but I have to well, I cannot not do so it I cannot not try to do it yeah, so that's the thing I'm talking about with the stigma you know it's like and I do this to myself. Like, I like to think that I'm strong enough to get through anything. I'm one tough bitch. Don't cross me. Like, yes. blah, blah, blah. And so to me, having to rely on something, even that small, almost makes me feel like it took a piece of my victory away. It took a piece of I my know. crown away from the moment. And I'm like, no, damn it. It didn't. You did it. it. Didn't. You did your job. You were still able a to go out and percent. do your job. And nobody knew what got you there. You got you there. And, and who cares? Like, it's, I'm not, you know, I'm not shitting on Paul Abdul, but they're not medicating me and propping me up on a stick. You know what I mean? Like, that's... well, and you're also not taking three shots of vodka. And that's another yes. thing I refuse to do. I don't want to become a medicated performer. I do not want to become yes. one of those people that has to have two cocktails before they can go out and do anything to calm their nerves. I don't want that. I want to find natural ways to do it. But under high pressure situations like that, sometimes you got to lick the Xanax, girl. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Friendly Fire is a war movie podcast, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to it. Boy, I'll say. You know, a lot of people, Ben and Adam, might not initially watch a war movie podcast. What's in it for me, they say. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what's in it for you. What's in it for you is a biting socio-political commentary, uh, scattered dick and fart Wait jokes. <laughs> and a lot of history. Like, there's the depicted wars, but also the history of the time period that these films were made and released. They're very telling. So download Friendly Fire every Friday from your favorite podcatcher. Or MaximumFun.org. Let me ask you uh, this question just to sort of um, just to sort of get a sense of of like outside aspects of your life beyond um, working professionally at such a young age and uh, and and, you know, to put it in your words, making bad decisions, which of course is like also could just be defined as being 18, 19, 20, 21 uh, for many of us. But, uh, but, you know, as you said, maybe it's happening in a louder way because of what you were doing in your life at that time. How did relationships factor into that? You know, what, how strange, like did, did, was your expectation and did it deliver, but also be confusing when you were kind of plucked out of obscurity as it were, um, and and put into the big city and and working all the time did you also sort of like fast forward in relationships did you do you know what I mean does that make sense you mean like romantic relationships yeah well I you know it's so funny because I've been I'm like an incredibly independent person and I think a lot of that I attribute to my mom because she was a single mom she worked three jobs I mean she was 
almost to a fault, but like she was like, we don't need a man. We can do it ourselves. Like she very much ingrained that into me so much so that like my boyfriend now pays the price for that because, you know, I'm always like, I can do that. And he's like, I, sweetie, I know you're all powerful and amazing, but also like, I don't need you to get the kitchen chair out every time you just want to get the cheese grater off the top shelf. Like, let me just grab it for you. Um, you're not like, I'm not, you know, it's just, it's, it's a funny dynamic, but I, um, I think relationships were complicated for me in that in those sort of formative years of my life because I was looking for them to be something for me in the wrong way. I was looking for them to bring a comfort and a sense of um, completion in a way that I needed to be doing that for myself. And I I think that's a very natural thing to do at that age. Um, But I certainly wasn't making good decisions of of people. Um, I had a, I had a boyfriend on and off in high school that, um, was, you know, we were all wrong for each other. He's now a lovely person and is married and has children and and we were still friends on Facebook and whatever, but you know, we were kids and we were sort of, but it was all about the, you know, it was all about the fight and the drama and all the sort of (laughs) bullshit. Um, and I struggled a lot because a lot of the people that I, let into my life were also broken people. They were wonderful people, but they were also very broken. And I think when two broken people are trying to come together to feel whole, it's just a recipe for disaster. And so it wasn't until, I mean, honestly, it wasn't until I met Garrett when, when my mom died, I made a conscious decision to not date for quite some time. And a lot of that was because I know me and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a habit of distraction and I didn't want anything to distract me from the grieving process. I wanted to go through it for, for better, for worse. And I didn't want to lean on anything or have, have, I, because I knew I would, that would, that had a potential to also make me resentful in the future. Like, Oh, I, Mm. I focused all my energy into you instead of, you know, taking that time that I needed. And then, and that's not their fault, but, You know, I just wanted to make sure that that was never something I did. So I made a conscious decision not to date for like the first two years after my mom died. I moved out here. I was all about career. That was it. Like I didn't really want to focus on anything else. And then um, slowly but surely I opened myself up to the idea of it. And that's when Garrett came along. Um, and he just sort of came out of nowhere in my life. We actually met on Tinder of all places. Um, and it's funny because the day that I was going to delete the app because I was like, this is stupid. You know, I had Tinder like everybody else had Tinder. Um, it was like a game. You know, you'd just be like, how many can mm-hmm. I win today? Um, right, and right. I was like, this is so ridiculous. Like, we're not going to window shop for humans. This is, I just want like a good old fashioned love story. You know, you meet a guy in a bar, you get hammered, you go home, you fall in love. Like, I'm an old school girl. Um, but I... <laughs> I, I so the day that I went to go delete the app, I had one new message and um it was from Garrett and I always joke and say that like it was the sweetest message ever, but it basically just didn't say hey sugar tits. Um and <laughs> I mean he was like he like said hello, like it was a full hello, good morning, Carly, with like proper commas and periods and stuff. I mean, right I tell you what, if there's any guys out there listening, you're like, How do you do it? It's really that fucking simple. Be polite and have good grammar right off the bat, she's wet. Like I swear to God <laughs> that is really all you have to do. Um because right, right. it's just it's those kind of things. Cause to us that screams, Oh, you're a fucking grown up. 
You're a grown-up who takes time to capitalize letters and like put commas where they belong. <laughs> and like to me, that's what that equates. Like you've got your shit together because you care about things. Um, right. And so we started talking on on the Tinder app and um, we were nonstop for like 24 hours. It was insane. And then I gave him my phone number and then for the next... 48 hours we were just non-stop texting like we couldn't and about like halfway through it he had proposed the idea to me he was like you know when you first meet somebody and you like somebody and whatever you do everything you can to put your best foot forward you know you're like you're always like oh my god like I'm just like a real girls guy like guys girl like I just I love football and like I'm so low maintenance and like you know you do all that bullshit and whatever and he's like what if instead like we just laid out all of our garbage like right now and see if this is something we want to deal with and I was like all right cool here's the tea uh I lost my mom a couple years ago I have serious abandonment issues and trust issues I can sometimes be like really crazy jealous but that's really just like my own shit I have a tendency to be self-sabotaging um and like with all this shit and he's like okay cool um I lost my brother a year ago so I'm still like completely broken over that and um I have a tendency to be really complacent and uh, an inability to make decisions and like we just laid all of our shit out um, in the very beginning and just sort of started there and it was the most honest and raw and transparent and candid place to start building this foundation and so the the on like the fourth day we were like all right well we already know how we feel here like let's meet in person and see if we've got anything you know in real life and we're like let's be adults about this we'll take sex off the table like let's just meet up for a drink but like that's a big joke because everyone knows I'm a sure bet so um, I went home with him on the first date, but like technically the fourth date because we had been talking for four days. At least that's what I tell yep. myself. So I drink less. But um, but <laughs> yeah, so um, and it was pretty much it was pretty much smooth sailing from that out. We had like a little rough patch around the two week mark. Garrett flipped out. He started feeling his feelings real hard and ghosted me. And then I was like, OK, like do your thing like I'm I'll always be grateful for the experience but meanwhile I was like fuck you bro you just wasted two weeks of my life (laughs) but I was like let go and let God like you gotta do you I gotta do me whatever and then um he showed up at my uh my friends threw me a rap party for season one and uh, the funny thing is, he had no idea that I was doing any of this, by the way. I didn't tell him really who I was, what I had done, like any of my Broadway or the fact that I was on a TV show. And like, yet you just lay all that really, really personal stuff yeah. there. But which in a way is a, is a is a way of saying like, this is this is who I really this am. Is or this is where my me. real yeah. vulnerabilities absolutely. are. Don't worry yeah. about whether there's a camera pointed at me. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so my friend showed me this like surprise rap party and my friend, my roommate at the time and, and one of my really good friends, Meg, um, she knew that I was super into him and whatever. So she invited him to the uh, rap party and he showed up and I was so surprised to see him there. And um, and he kind of like came in. It was like this weird moment and we kissed and we've been inseparable ever since. We moved in at the six month mark. We've been together for two years. We've lived together for over a year and a half. Like we've just sort of been inseparable ever since. And he told me, he was like, I just made the decision that like he was like I was scared because I didn't want to get hurt and I didn't want to hurt you and I just you know he's like you were so broken and I was so I mean not broken but you know it's like we were so raw still um but he's like I just made the decision that I knew I would hate myself if I didn't see what it could be and so he's like I jumped in I was all in and and he's like the bravest person I know because of like that that's been one of the most inspiring moments I think the way he showed up for me and like put all of his fear and everything aside 
for a chance that something good might come out of it. And that has been one of the biggest inspirations since I've met him for me to be like, I'm going to fucking do that too. I'm going to put my fear aside for the chance that something greater might be on the other side of it. Yeah. And if it isn't, guess what? I'm going to survive that. And you know, at this point, what can't I survive? You know, exactly. Exactly. Um, girl, this has been, I mean, listen, you want to talk about time flying by. I just looked at, uh, the recording. I was like, how long have we been talking? It feels like five minutes. Uh, I want to get into this mash game with you. Um, I, 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 I'm going to start with a category that, uh, let me be clear. I almost don't want to do it because I don't want in any way for it to come off. Like it's about regrets. It is absolutely categorically not. It is a time. This is a time for play, for playfulness, for imagination. It's not about like, Oh God, if I could correct something I do it differently I I, because because I think you and I both agree that everything that you have gone through up to this point had to happen for you to be grateful and in the moment and who you are now so it isn't that I have no shame (laughs) excellent this is more of like the twilight zone right so in 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 your 18th year we get three other divergent alternate universe Carly's. And that doesn't mean again, that this Carly isn't going down her road. She is, but it's just a fun exercise of like, there's three other Carly's like time splits or there's a dimensional rift at age 18. And one Carly goes off and just does this. One Carly goes off and does that one Carly goes off and does and does that while you Carly are going forward, you know, on Broadway in hairspray, give me three, they can be as wackadoo as you want or as just like totally grounded and like boring as you want three sort of split alternate universe carlies at 18 moving forward wait do i go right now like like professions uh yeah i mean whatever you want you could be like uh 18 year old carly goes and lives in paris for a year 18 year old carly stop taking my michigan that's like my dream that's like my dream to live in paris for a year um okay um okay good okay so one 18 year old carly definitely meets and falls in love with and gets married to jude law amazing Um, oh and by the way you're gonna get your own category of uh three guys crushes too that you'll also that you'll have your own romantic interest category as well so don't worry okay good okay um and so yeah um uh one carly becomes an international call girl just because like there's a small part of me that's like kind of okay with just like being touted around and traveled and like maybe having to take one for the team every now and then like I have yeah I feel like you're gonna you would be recruited into the CIA real quick (laughs) um and then let's see what else oh and then one Carly becomes a politician great 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 perfect that's how the game is played okay uh next category let's just do it let's jump right into it three guys it can be uh or wait or women it can be characters from films could be you know someone at any age like so-and-so in their 20s um it could be you know someone from a book it could be a cartoon three uh figures that you would like to have uh romantic and or sexual adventures with in this alternate universe okay definitely dylan in the 60s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay okay um oh it's like i just want to be really really smart here that i don't like keep myself <laughs> 20 minutes after we got the phone like why why i, I know this this is the improvisational part that gets a little bit tricky um who else i mean i already said jude law but like can i say him again yeah, I'll give I'll give him to you twice. I'll increase his chances a little yeah, yeah, more than yeah. everybody else. Yeah, let's get him in my world. Um, 
John Stewart. I have like the biggest thing for John Stewart. Understood. Listen, Anytime, understood. by the way, just any age, John Stewart. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, those are your three women. So okay. I'm going to move on to the next category. Uh, next category is three places in the world you'd like to have a vacation home if getting there were no issue. Oh, so you don't yeah, have to worry okay. about the travel part. Um, definitely Venice. Great. Um, where else do I want to be? Uh, maybe Rio. Um, right. And then... I'll just say uh, like a sensible uh, house on the lake in Michigan. Beautiful. Michigan lake. Okay, great. Okay. Next category. <laughs> Again, I'm sort of pushing you on the improv thing. Three. And this can happen uh, on stage, off stage. It can happen in a TV format. There's zero pressure. No, we're not talking about any anxiety attacks here. Okay. But three t- musicals that don't exist that it would be fun to have originated the role or just written and watched someone else do. But just give me like three three things that you're like, oh, I want to see a musical about blah. Okay. Um, I would like to see David Bowie's The Rise and, Star, uh, the Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust brought to a stage production. Z- gorgeous, gorgeous. Um, that's like actually something I want to see. Um, yeah, that's great. What else? Um, I would like to see Dog the Bounty Hunter brought to as a musical. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's amazing. Um, oh my god! What would be my third? Um, and then I'm gonna have to say, um, Stakeout Two. Oh my god. Stick out too with Rosie with, O'Donnell, amazing with Rosie O'Donnell to Richard Dreyfus, not the first one, just the second one as a musical. Oh no, I I copy, I copy. That's fantastic. Okay, this is my uh, favorite category, or at least one of them. Uh, three foods that in this reality are either you know you have an allergy, or they you if you eat too much you feel sick right away because there's too much sugar, or th- or it's really hard to come by because it's a special cake that your grandmother used to make and you've never been able to duplicate it. In this new mash reality we're creating, uh, you can have whatever you want in perpetuity, and it uh, it has zero health ramifications. Three. Oh yeah okay um okay so the first would be my grandma's poopy chicken which is basically just a country <laughs> ass version of corn on blue that she just deep fries the fuck out of and and it's gooey and cheesy and amazing um amazing the second one would just be cheese just every kind of cheese just all of the cheese in liquid form in solid form like yeah. in any way in gaseous form in yes <laughs> Just any way that you can get it inside me, I'm down for that. Um, Great. And let's see. What else do I want to eat that has no... um, Oh, uh, I guess In-N-Out. Because, like, I feel like I could just eat all of the In-N-Out. Yeah. Ever. Always. I remember when in and out like became a thing and I was, I, it, it really was one of those things that I just, it, it went from zero to 60 so quickly. It was like in and what? And then it was yeah. like everyone's number one priority in life was in and out. 
you know, when I first moved here, everybody was like, oh, you got to try it. And I tried it. And I was like, what? This is garbage. Like, this is just, and I don't know if it's just living <laughs> here after a while, if it's just like you start drinking the Kool-Aid or what. But now I literally crave it once a week. Like, I can't handle it. I just, I don't know. And it's so funny because I have friends that come here and they're like, I had In-N-Out. It wasn't that great. I was like, no, 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 I get it. Like, I, I'm with you. I get it. I thought it was garbage when I first had it. And now, like, I don't know. It's just crack. Like, I've had it enough times yeah. that, like, that's to me what the most amazing food is. Uh, that reminds me of I've said this many times but I was such a snob about Los Angeles when I still lived in San Francisco which admittedly is just a very very beautiful city and I would come down here and visit my friends and they would take me to Silver Lake and be like look it's a lake and I was like this is a concrete basin with chain link around it this is awful yeah, and now I'm like I think I want to ride my it. bike near Silver Lake it's so I pretty know. over there <laughs> I did the same thing I was such a New Yorker you know I was like New York the only place that's real and I hated LA so much I just did not like it here I came out here for pilot season once in 2006 just hated it and now of course I become one of my talk to my friends in New York I'm like well you can't beat the weather and they're like fuck you dude like yeah. they're just like yeah. you <laughs> completely sold your soul and I was like I, I know, know you're a turncoat you're a turncoat um okay give me three give me three movies that you can jump into and just be in that world you're not reliving the plot you're not a oh, character a specific character in them it's just like you're in that world getting it all over you uh, Steel Magnolias. Amazing. Um, First Wives Club. Oh, First Wives Club. I and love it. Stand By Me. I wanted to be like the one rough and tumble girl in Stand By Me. I'm like, where's the girl? You need a girl in here. I mean, that is something that's missing. That's definitely an element that I feel is very much missing. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I love it. Okay. Next category. Let's do three... Let's do three uh, characters or people that um, you. it's almost like you have a bat phone where you could just call them and be like, oh, what do I do? Talk me down. Or like, you know, hey, what oh. would you what did you do when you were faced with blah, blah, blah. So it's sort oh, of like okay. you're, you know, you're, you're kind of fairy godmother, so to speak. OK. Uh, um, Barack Obama. I for Wait. sure would like a bat phone, too. Um Oh, well, my mom, because I feel like I'm uh, this close to killing myself with salmonella poisoning all the time because I'm always like, how long can chicken be in the fridge? Um, <laughs> like, I just, I, oh, I'm always like, oh, am I, I don't know if you should, oh, did, uh, yeah, I can't yeah. do it on my own. <laughs> um, oh, damn. Um... Lucille Ball. Nice. Yeah. First female to own her own production company. Great. Great, 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 great. Okay. And then let's do three. Let's do 2019. I don't care if they're so off the wall that you're probably never going to have to do this. But like, let's give me two, 20, three 2019. Carly does a new thing that scares her. Give me three of those. Ugh. Okay. Um... Okay, I'll make one realistic, like um, my first late night talk show. Great. Um, I mean, I'd never do it in a billion years, but I guess skydiving. Right. Yeah, fucking right. You'd have to put like fully drug me um, and <laughs> and buy a house. That's like terrifying. That's like some real yes. terrifying. That's like the shit nightmares are made of. 
that's listen this is a very good list because it has like the kind of crazy one that a lot of us feel which is the skydiving bit the late night talk show i think is a very realistic like you once you do it once you're golden and you will and then the third one is like a long-term sort of like well everyone gets why that's a massively scary thing and you know you're either going to do it or you don't but it, it's not it's not like a must do either way whereas i think the late night talk show thing like that you're like you're headed in that direction and it's gonna and it's gonna happen and you're gonna do great um okay awesome uh now i just need you to give me uh a uh, let me do this give me a number between one and six nine oh and six <laughs> you know what i'm taking nine my i'm taking nine because already. it was beautiful <laughs> nope i'm taking it i'm taking it okay so i am going to what i what i've discovered i think is the hardest thing is having to is having to sync up when we both like pause and start recording again so i'm gonna try to tear through this uh you know getting my little eeny meeny miny mo's done if you don't mind um telling people about like where they can find you and what you've got going on you've talked about the guest book uh i'm really setting you loose on the audience for just a few moments while i do this and then okay. i'll come back and i will give you your 100 percent guaranteed fictitious mash future great all right. Well, I'm Carly Gibson. That's who has been yakking in your ear for the last hour. You can find me on social media. My, what are the handles? They're called handles, I think, um, are yeah. at Carly Gibson, both on Twitter and Instagram. Um, now, I warn you about these these social media things. I'm 34 and I'm doing the best that I can. And I feel like every time I get a really good handle on this shit, I see some shit that other people are doing. And I'm like, why, why, why is this when I feel like I'm starting to get it? Does this happen to me? I know. It's like, oh, you're making little movies with like Uh, emojis that are animating in your real life too. How are you doing this? I just can't even figure out how they can, they can get those like, they can time out where they want to put things in the video. I don't know. I can't. I just, I'm I old. I don't care. I know. Um, so that's where people are, where the kids can find me. Um, and then the guest book, the guest book is, um, is on air right now. It airs on Tuesday nights, um, 10 30, central on TBS. The guest book is a very funny, um, sort of irreverent, a comedic anthology that is created and written by Greg Garcia. So if people were fans of My Name is Earl and Raising Hope, sort of that kind of style. It's a very sardonic, dark comedy show. Um, I play the villain um, in season one. In season two, she's trying to like, you know, get her shit together and be a good girl as we go to a new location. Um, nice. And always, as always, you know, Tickles is Tickles. Tickles is my... Uh, is my stripper name. She's a stripper. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so it's, as always, Tickles is looking for love in all the wrong places. But, you know, she might she might just nail one down this season. We are um, Ooh. we are we are pretty excited about it. So, um, yeah, that's Fantastic. that's where you can find the show. And I believe you can that's- also go to the TBS app and sign into your television provider and watch all of the episodes from season one and the current season two um, all on the app. So you can go there as well. Nice. Nice. Uh, I think we could both agree it is extremely fun playing the bad guy. Oh, uh, man. I... Yeah, it's a very, very fun feeling. Uh, I w- I'm very excited about the outcome of this match oh. feature. I think you're going to enjoy it very much as well. Um, okay, give it to me. I'm God, like, There just isn't it. There's not a stinker in the bunch. This is fantastic. Okay, okay first good. of all, I want to congratulate you. You have a uh, beautiful mansion uh, right on the oh. lake in Michigan. Oh, thank um, you. Um, taking it taking it back to your roots because uh you're in a place now in your life where like you can you can touch in with that and be there and celebrate and it's this beautiful place that you've earned 
by virtue of doing the Smash game. (laughs) I'm here for that. But but you're connected to that. Um, I think that actually ties in very nicely because you also have this uh, bat phone to mom. Oh, so you kind great. of you've got your sort of like your upbringing, your family. You've got that kind of connection going there. I can also reassure you, and I'm sure this happens a great deal in this Michigan Lake House, that you're eating unlimited amounts of poopy chicken. Great, unlimited amounts of poopy chicken. Now, not only are you having, and by the way, you do that. We have this kind of buy a house uh, thing in the future that you're afraid of. So I don't know if the house that you buy is going to be this Michigan house or if it represents this house that you may buy in LA, but rest assured you, you're going to make that grown up move uh, okay. in one form or another. So congratulations. Now that's all the kind of like very grounded um, stuff that kind of connects you to where you're from. I do also want to reassure you that in an alternate universe, uh, future Carly uh, ended up with Jude law i had a so feeling. maybe you can kind of maybe there could be some sort of exchange program where you go to her dimension and she comes to yours because in your dimension she's gonna get to have some sexy times with john stewart oh okay well done very very well done uh cleaning i want to here. thank you very yeah you're absolutely cleaning up i want to thank you very much for bringing stakeout two to the stage oh. <laughs> it's a musical I the find that extraordinarily satisfying. Broadway musical stakeout yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> I love that there is never, there will never be a stakeout one no. on Broadway. We jumped straight to stakeout too. It's very, yes. very satisfying. Uh, and then you can also uh, escape into the very, very fun, very satisfying world of the First Wives Club uh, when, whenever you want. So oh, great. Um, yes. That is, a, that is a tremendously positive outcome on our, our MASH game, I think. And, Oof, uh, and I, I want to thank you so much for it. doing the podcast. Thank I know. you for having uh, me. I love, I love that we're both in our Christmas pants. And yes. um, I can't wait to meet you in real life. Now we've got all of this track laid down where we have all these things in common so it's going to be like my sister how are you i know uh, i love it Let, yeah i was telling people like let's be friends in real life like in irl yeah. as the kids say yes yes we can take our dogs for a slow walk a very slow walk with their little <laughs> a heart slow numbers. gentle walk oh. uh all right all right carly thank you so much uh thank you. And wonderful folks i will talk to you guys next time on the podcast and uh goodbye bye guys The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.